You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Hey guys, great to be with you. Uh, Matt, thanks so much. Yeah, um, we actually uh, got to know each other even before we officially became a member, so it's probably been more like five years. So really enjoyed Matt's friendship and just ministry partnership as he coordinates our central PA area. Super thankful for uh, Acts 29. As Matt said, um, I serve down in Southern York County, kind of a, a rural, small town suburb of Baltimore, and uh, blessed uh, that, that the Lord used me and, and our team to, to plant that church about four. 14 years ago, we meet in a YMCA, and I have a great partnership with them, with the YMCA there in Shrewsbury. Uh, my wife and I, Karen, been married for 21 years. We have four kids, uh, two boys, uh, 19 and 16, and two girls, uh, 13 and 8. So we are uh, super blessed and, and grateful to be here. It was good to be at the 8.30 service. It's been a while since I've preached twice uh, on one Sunday, so um, we'll see how that goes. But um, in addition to being a, a uh, Christian and a husband and a father and a pastor, uh, I am also a thief. So I need you to know that about me. I am a thief, uh, not by trade, um, but when I was, I don't know, probably about 12 years old, uh, some buddies from the neighborhood uh, convinced me that it would be a good idea to build a skateboard ramp, and to do so, we needed to go raid the wood pile at the housing development in our neighborhood and, and borrow uh, some of their wood, and, and I lived close by. My dad had a wheelbarrow, and so again, they convinced me we should use my dad's wheelbarrow for this project. All seemed to go well until my dad got home from work, and, and I, being inexperienced in thievery, had left the wheelbarrow out in the backyard. And so my dad asked me quite innocently like what I had used it for, and, and I just froze up until that point. I, I think I hadn't really uh, felt that much guilt or shame, but in that moment I realized, oh my goodness, I can't tell my dad what I had done. And so I did what young 12-year-olds do. I just looked up and, and just sort of said, I don't know. Um, and thinking that that was going to get me out of the hot seat. But what happened is my guilt and my shame just continued to grow. But I sort of dug in my heels. And as he asked me again and again throughout the night, and I'll never remember, I'll never forget. I mean, you know, I, I just continued to press in. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Thinking that if I just didn't admit what I had done, if I just somehow hid from him and just ignored the reality of, of, of me, you, you know, disobeying him and, 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 and stealing that, that somehow it would go away. It did not go away. Uh, my effort to just sort of hide and ignore my sin only increased my guilt and my shame and, and sort of learned and looking back on that realized that's the wrong way to deal with guilt and shame, right? We're looking at Psalm 32 this morning and we're going to see the psalmist and the word of God lead us in, in the proper way to deal with our sin, the proper way to alleviate our guilt. And we find here that through forgiveness, we find God's blessing, that blessed are the forgiven ones. And we're going to see again and again, uh, the word of God reassure us and comfort us this morning in the blessing that we have through the forgiveness of Christ. So we're going to read this together. I'm going to go ahead and pause and pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. <clears throat> Spirit of God, we do ask that you would come and minister to us, focus us. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, that as it is read this morning, um, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would uh, speak to us, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. We thank you 
for our faith, for the great work of Christ. We thank you that we no longer need to live as, as men and women under the weight of our sin, but we can celebrate and rejoice our status as, as the blessed ones, as the ones who have forgiveness and new life. And so I pray, God, that we could come again to that place of, of celebrating our forgiveness, energized by your Spirit to walk in faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed and with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. Amen. So the psalm begins, uh, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The one who's blessed means is the, the one who has God's favor. The Hebrew there can even mean joyful, happy, blessed and happy and joyful are the one that is forgiven. We all want to be blessed. Everyone wants to be blessed by God. We see here that, that the one who's truly blessed is the one that's forgiven. And we see forgiveness here expressed in three ways. Right, Transgression is forgiven, sin is covered, and iniquity is not counted against you. Transgression there is wrongdoing. It's, it's your rebellion, your disobedience that is then forgiven and canceled out. Sin is covered over. See, sin is being outside of God's will. It's a violation, but sin is covered. That, that is to be atoned for. And iniquity is not counted. Our guilt, our iniquity is not counted against us. We are declared right, justified before God. The psalmist is not talking about three different types of sin or three different types of forgiveness. This is Hebrew parallelism, parallelism, emphasizing the point of our forgiveness. Now, of course, we need to be reminded that sin is not just like our top 10 worst things we've ever done, right? Sin is not just what we do, but it's who we are. It's our disobedience, our state of, of rebellion against our creator. It, it's an offense against him, ultimately treason. It's, it's disloyalty. The scriptures talk about it as, as our wrongs, but also as, as a sickness, as even slavery, idolatry, our crooked and, and perverse actions against God. Sin ultimately is a pollution. doesn't matter how good of a day you are outside of Christ, you are a sinner, Right, One drop of poison in a glass of water is going to taint and contaminate the whole glass as sin does to our own heart. Right, And the reality is we're not sinful because we sin. We are sin because the state of our heart is sinful, turned away from God. We don't do the right things, but even when we do, rarely do we even do them with the right motives to glorify and honor God. Sin ultimately we can think of as just the state of, of our heart and our, our posture of our life turned away from God, turned toward ourselves, not loving him, not seeking his glory, not loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
Scriptures say that, that when we don't love God, when we don't obey His commandments, we are, we are sinning. And what we think, what we say, what we do, not pleasing God, not doing and thinking and saying what, what pleases Him. Sin ultimately is putting yourself before God, thinking you can do it better than Him, that your way of living is, is right, not living for His glory. And our sin is weighty. It's not something to be trivialized. Ultimately, sin brings us under the curse of God, which is why the psalm proclaims that the one that's forgiven, whose guilt is no longer counted against him, why that man or woman is blessed. The psalm also describes the person there at the end of verse 2 as, as in whose spirit there is no deceit. I think that's calling our attention to the reality that, that if we're honest and open with ourselves, we have to admit our sin. And that if you think that you don't have sin before God, you're deceiving yourselves. John wrote in his epistle, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if you think that you have nothing that needs to be forgiven, you're, you're lying and you can go ahead and ask God to forgive you for that. The psalm describes in the verses that follow why we are so blessed, why the ones who who are forgiven are truly blessed and what it's like to live under his blessing. Verse 3 talks about the relief that we have from the, the weight of our guilt. Guilt is a weight. And the psalmist says, when I kept silent about my sin, when I didn't confess it, it was this crushing experience. Verse 3 says, it's like our very bones waste away from the inside. Our insides eat us up in guilt and shame. Verse 4 says it's like your very strength is dried up, sapped like the heat of summer. My, my family and I had the opportunity to go out to the Grand Canyon this summer, and um, I, you always sort of hear about it being a dry heat, but I'm from Baltimore where, where heat and humidity are one and the same, right? You walk outside, you immediately get wet in the summertime. But, but I realized about, about 24 hours after being in Arizona what dry heat meant. And I, I stereotypically have super dry skin in the winter, uh, and the, the, the day after we got there, it was like, run to, the, run to the drugstore and get some lotion, right? Because everything is white and scaly and peeling, and the whole family is experiencing this dry heat as your moisture is just sucked out of you. And the Bible says that's what our guilt does to us. It just it sucks us dry, sucks the, light, the life out of us like the heat of summer. And, and if and when we deceive ourselves and we don't acknowledge the ways we've missed God's will, our guilt becomes a tremendous burden. See, unconfessed sin is not just a spiritual and emotional weight and burden. It can manifest physically as well as these physical symptoms are described as your sin eats you up from the inside and you feel this heavy weight weighed down by your guilt, strength dried up. And verse 4 says that heaviness that you feel is ultimately the hand of God, the hand of God heavy upon you. Weighing on you, the psalmist says, day and night. I remember this physical experience years ago when I was a young man and I had given in to lust and, and I had, had, had looked at things and thought things in ways that I shouldn't and I hid from God and I tried to ignore my guilt. But I remember the night I was laying in bed, unable to fall asleep, so weighed down, I felt this physical heaviness. And, and, and hour after hour as the clock you know, ticks through as, as something keeps you up at night, and, and knowing that I, I needed to turn to God, but unwilling to do so until finally in the middle of the night, my guilt and this heaviness that I felt was more than I could bear. 
and, and I turned to God in my heart and confessed my sin and asked for forgiveness. And I had a physical sensation of just being lightened. And I, and I remember sinking, feeling like this sense of sinking into the bed and immediately fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning remembering this experience, this tangible expression, tangible expression of the Lord removing his heavy hand of conviction, lightening, literally lightening my load, enabling me to have a free conscience, conscience to fall asleep and waking up the next morning newing. Knew that, knowing that I was forgiven and freed in Christ. This heavy weight of, of sin. And here it's describing the person that's, that doesn't have the blessing of forgiveness, that's not turning to God for sin and guilt to be relieved. See, ultimately, we often look to other things other than God's gracious forgiveness. And, and, and unbelievers seek to alleviate and, and deal with their guilt in ungodly ways. But even at times, believers, we, we forget the grace of God. We forget the work of Christ, and we think we can deal with it on our own. I've found in my own experience and in the lives of other people, there's at least four ways we try to deal with guilt, deal with the heavy weight of our sin, other than going to the cross of Christ. First of all, I think we can rationalize it. We try to rationalize what we've done. And yeah, we snap at somebody and we feel bad for the words and the tone that we took with them, but we talk ourselves out of feeling guilty about it, right? We say to ourselves, well, it wasn't that bad and she started it and she, you know, she, she made a comment to me first and other people would have reacted a lot worse than I did, you know? And we make every attempt to justify ourselves, to blame the other person. It's really on them because of what they said to me. We downplay it. We try to talk ourselves out of feeling guilty. We try to rationalize our sin. Other people don't rationalize it. They just suppress it. You just do everything that you can to, to eliminate the memory of your wrong. And, and maybe this week you've clicked on something and looked at images that you know you shouldn't have. And what do you do? You just try to pretend it didn't happen. Just try to forget about it, not think about it. Do everything in your power to, to think about other things. Forget about how you've displeased God. Forget about how you've dishonored your wife. And hope that eventually the guilt will sort of fade. Maybe you don't suppress it. Maybe you come to a point where you take comfort in your guilt, in your shame. And maybe you know you've been having too many glasses of wine at night and you've been sort of checking out and looking to that for, for comfort and, and you may feel bad about it. And then eventually the guilt and the misery sort of become normal and you decide that you deserve to feel guilty. You deserve to feel miserable about maybe overindulging or whatever it might be for you. And you tell yourself that you should feel bad because you are bad, you tell yourself. And you begin to take comfort in that sense of guilt that you feel. In fact, it starts to feel good to feel bad. And you start to really beat yourself up and oddly, oddly you find comfort in the guilt. So maybe for you, you take comfort in it. Or maybe you just try to compensate for the wrongs in your life and you feel bad about how critical and judgmental and arrogant you've been in your heart or maybe in your words toward other people. And so what do you do? You start trying to do a bunch of good things, speaking well about other people to counteract the, the, how you feel bad about what you've been speaking. And so you go out of your way to be really helpful and to be really nice. And you think, well, maybe my good pile can be higher than my bad pile, right? And I can compensate for the wrongs in my life and do enough good things to make up for my sin and my guilt. But, but we know, we know from experience that none of these things are going to remove our guilt, not rationalizing it or suppressing it or finding comfort in it or compensating for it. None of these things are the proper, true, right way to find relief. And, and non-believers, I think, wrestle with these same things, but they don't have the hope of Christ that we have. 
to know that when we are stuck in our sins, when we feel crushed under the weight of guilt, that there is blessing and freedom in forgiveness. Blessed are the forgiven ones because, first of all, we have freedom from the heavy weight of guilt. goes on in verse 5 to talk about how we truly receive forgiveness. What does it say in verse 5? I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Of course, God already knows what we've done, but us acknowledging it to him, confessing it to him, opens up our heart to the work of Christ to be reminded again of what he's done for us. And so we have to stop covering our sins, not covering our iniquity. If we want God to cover it, we have to uncover it before him, confess our wrongs, and receive that forgiveness. And and confession may be hard, but it's not complicated. It's very simple to just cry out to the Lord. And and, and I find, and I know many of you can testify, that that not only confessing to God, but confessing to your spouse, to a mentor, to a friend, to another brother or sister in Christ, makes that confession tangible and puts what you've done before yourself, before them, but also puts your forgiveness. And so, you know, let's make it specific this morning. What is it that you have wrestled with? What is it that you have not yet received forgiveness maybe this this day or this week or, or maybe a pattern of sin that's gone on for years? Maybe for you it's anger, just constantly full of, of grumbling and frustration, anger outwardly and inwardly towards others. Maybe it is lust, looking at at sexually inappropriate images, coming up with fantasies in your head. Maybe it's greed and craving and desiring the love of money and worldly possessions. Maybe it's envy and jealousy towards what other have, others have. The bitterness in, their, in your heart towards what God has given them. Maybe it's impatience. Impatience with God's work in your life in the long term or, or impatience in the short term with, with family and friends around you. Maybe for you it's spiritual apathy and the sin that is crushing you is just an apathetic spirit towards God, a disinterest in growth in Christ or pride and selfishness, looking down on others, thinking you deserve. God, I want this. I need this. I deserve that. Maybe it's overindulgence, overindulging in the good gifts of God and turning them into idols pleasures of, of, of money or drink or food or, or alcohol. Friends, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, and we read it this morning. If we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing through the work of Christ. A few verses later, the epistle of John explains how and why God can forgive us because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. See, when we confess God the Father forgives our sins because God the Son died on the cross for you and God the Holy Spirit brings the work of Christ into your life. Jesus atoned for your wrongs. Each and every thing that we've done, sacrificing himself, he is our substitute, appeasing the wrath of God, our propitiation. That's what his death has done, taking the record of our wrongs, nailing it to the cross. And through his resurrection, we now have justification, new life to full, be full of the Holy Spirit and walk in obedience. See, the forgiven ones are blessed because we've been relieved from the weight of our guilt. We can walk now free. But it goes on there in verse 6 and 7 to talk about not only the freedom that we have from the weight of guilt, but also that we are delivered from our troubles. Verse 6 says that surely let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time where you may be found. We, we call out to God in times of trouble and need. 
See, because we're forgiven, we have access to God. Christians talk a lot about, about forgiveness from sin because we know that sin is what blocks us from our creator, blocks us from our father. But when that sin is removed, we can live in covenant relationship and in intimacy with our God, access to him. And so now we can pray to God. We can pray to God because we have found him and he has found us. Pray to God at a time when he may be found because, friends, there will come a day when, when God cannot be found. When you cross from this life to the next in death, you have to live with the consequences of, of your choice. And at that point in time, whether it's heaven or hell, whether it's eternal life or eternal death, we have to live in death with, with, with what we've chosen in this life. And so the scriptures say, seek the Lord where he may be found. Seek the Lord when he may be found today. Today is the, the day of, of God's forgiveness. Turn to him and find hope, find relief, find grace, and find blessing. Blessing when, when God has found you and you have found God. And he becomes, as verse 7 says, your hiding place. See, in the Lord, we can, we can hide from danger. We're preserved from trouble, the scripture says. And who has not found trouble and hardship and pain in this life? And we go to the Lord as the ones that are blessed and forgiven in relationship with him. And we hide from the brokenness and the hardship and the pain of this life. And we say, okay, good. Does that mean that if I'm blessed that I don't face trouble, that I don't face trial? Well, if you've been a Christian for more than seven or eight minutes, you know that that's not the case. right? Jesus said, in this life we will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. We're going to have tribulation in this world, but through Christ, we can overcome it. And so, yes, Christian, we will face hardship. And this verse, the hope of this verse is not that you never have pain or trouble, but in the midst of the pain and the trouble, you have one who can preserve you and, and you can hide in. And so we think about those Christians and, and those people of, of the little nation of Haiti that, that faced yet again another earthquake, yet again another tropical storm and, and, and flooding. And those people cry out to God in the midst of their trouble and pain. We think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, that, that many of whom this morning are facing unspeakable persecution. Some of them specifically because of their faith, because, because they call Jesus their Savior. And so we can't say that the trials don't come. I can't say to the young man in my congregation that this week was deployed to Afghanistan to be put in harm's way. I can't say that those trials won't come. When the text came that the woman in my congregation who battled breast cancer two years ago, when the text came that the cancer has come back, to be blessed doesn't mean that the trial doesn't come, but what is the scripture? What is the promise? What is the hope? That when those flood waters rise, verse 7, say, we will not be washed away. And so the floods may come, but, but hold on to the hope. That the Lord Jesus has you, his spirit will sustain you. You will not be washed away. What does it say? You're surrounded by shouts of deliverance. If the God of the universe is going to shout over you deliverance in the midst of whatever trial you're facing, you better believe that that deliverance will come through, whether it be in this life or in the next. Guys, we are blessed because we are forgiven. We are relieved of the burden of our guilt and because we find deliverance in times of trouble. And yes, the trouble will come. But just as certain as the trouble, even more certain is God's promise of deliverance. But even more than that, verses 8 and 9 go on to say that we are blessed because we have counsel. We have guidance in the way we should go. Verse 8 is the Lord speaking. The Lord speaking to us, I will teach you. I'll give you instruction about how to live, about where to go in this life. 
He says, I'll counsel you with my eye on you. And I believe that means the Lord stays actively involved in our lives. Right? We're now in right relationship with God, and so, and so he keeps his eye on you. He looks out for you, you might say, as the Holy Spirit directs you. God's not relating with us from a distance, giving us abstract principles or guidance. He says, I see you. My eye is on you. I know what you're going through, and I will guide you in my peace, guide you in the way of life. And so he says in verse 9, look, in light of that, don't be stubborn. Don't be like a mule. See, a mule is only going to follow the master if what? You put that metal bar in his mouth and you tug on it and you make him go where you want him to go against his will in a sense. And you force the mule to stay close to you. And the scripture says, don't, don't be like that. Don't be like the son or daughter that needs the, the rod in his mouth tied around your, your head. Don't make God pull on you. And God can in his love bring circumstances, bring people, Bring, bring financial strain or, or even health as a way to wake us up, to steer us back to him. But let's be like the horse that simply walks by the master, that trusts the master, that knows the master, that doesn't need the bit in the bridle, that just stays close because he knows that's where, where blessing and comfort, he knows the master will lead him to, to green grass and still water. Follow God. Let's not be men and women that are stubborn. Let's not believe that, that, that walking with God is somehow restricting our freedom because there's nothing outside of the Lord's will, nothing outside of this instruction that the psalm teaches us about that's worth having. And young people, don't buy into the lie that God is somehow inhibiting you or restricting you from fun things or enjoyable things or, or from really truly seeing and experiencing life. And I, and I think some, some Christians, and I know I experienced it when I was younger and I've, I've sort of learned enough lessons the hard way, we, we feel like the fish in the fishbowl. We feel like, well, I'm, I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to obey his will, but I feel restricted. I feel inhibited. I feel like, like my freedom is taken away from me, and maybe there's good things, and maybe I should explore, and maybe I should sneak out this weekend and, and, and try some of the things in the world. Maybe that's where pleasure and freedom and joy is. It's so like that fish in the fishbowl, feeling restrained and restricted. Maybe one day you, you get up the, the courage to, to jump out of the fishbowl, thinking you'll find freedom. Maybe you're full on rebelling against God. Maybe you're just, you're just trying some things out. But what happens when that fish jumps out of the water? He lands on the, on the counter and flops around for four or five seconds. And then what? He looks back up at the fishbowl, realizing that's where freedom was. That's where life was in the water, in the protection, in the place that God had designed me to live. And that's how it is for us as well. Outside of God's will is, is, is suffocation. You can't live there. You can't flourish there. It's inside of God's will, inside of his grace and his instruction where we can flourish and find life. So friends, let's not be stubborn. Let's let the Lord guide us in his instruction in the way that we should go. Blessed are the forgiven ones. Blessed are the forgiven ones because we're relieved from our guilt. We have deliverance in times of trouble. We receive counsel in how to live and lastly, the passage closes with this beautiful picture of us being surrounded by the steadfast love of God. See, those who have never come into covenant relationship with God, verse 10 says, who remain in their wickedness and their unforgiveness are full of sorrow. And, and yes, there is fleeting temporary pleasure and joy outside of God. But at the end of the day, it only leads to sorrow, to, to spiritual, emotional suffocation, to the depletion of life. It's not an experience of an abundance. The wicked experience sorrow. 
Friends, if you're here this morning and, and someone invited you or, or you've, you've, you've come to church for a while but you've not yet fully given yourself in faith to Christ, you may be experiencing sorrow. And on the outside, things may look okay. But I hope and I pray this morning the Spirit would stir you to faith, to come to Christ, to trust in Him, to receive the blessing that we've been talking about, to receive the forgiveness we've been talking about, that you would no longer be one who stands against God, but one who stands with God in His family, forgiven and blessed and full of joy in his work. See, those who trust in the Lord, who trust in his Savior are blessed. We are surrounded by the steadfast love of God, the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. That there's literally no place you can go apart and away from God's presence. Nothing that can separate you from the love of God. It's to your left and to your right. It's before you and behind you. It's above you and below you. The love of of God in Christ is with us on our best days and our worst days, in, in the brightest of lights and the darkest of night. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you feel on the outside, God's love surrounds you. And there is nothing that can separate you because you are blessed by God. You are called his son and you are called his daughter. And so the call in verse 11 is to be glad in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord to know that your heart has been made upright, that you have been made righteous, and to be glad and to celebrate and rejoice in that because we are the blessed ones, the forgiven ones who have God's grace. And so let's walk with him in faith. Let's walk with him in courage. Let's walk with him in such a way that the world around us would see the grace and the blessing of God, would see us even in our times of trouble, hoping in God's deliverance, certain in God's work in our life, walking in faith and obedience. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise and the certainty and the truth of of your word. Lord, even as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, we are comforted again by the hope of forgiveness, comforted again that our blessing not comes from from who we are, what we've done, but comes through who Christ is and what he has done for us. And so, Father, we confess our wrongs and our sins, and we acknowledge them to you so thankful and so eager so grateful that you forgive us, that you relieve the weight of our sin. And we ask that you give us faith to walk in obedience after the counsel of your will, to cry out to you in the midst of troubles and to celebrate and find comfort every moment of every day that we are surrounded by your love. We thank you, Lord, that we can call ourselves blessed because of Christ. Stir our faith. Bring your forgiveness. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.